Good morning. It's uh, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, Chris sent me the the uh, the video that you just saw several days ago, and uh, I, I didn't mention this to him, but it, it the music in it reminded me of we had a we had a warm up uh, kind of music bed that we played in high school for our basketball team, and I don't know why I it just like as I listened to it, I was like, man, do I need a ball? I, I could not I could not ball like I used to anyway. So not like I could then either, really, but. Uh, one likes to pretend, right? Uh, well, welcome. My name is Steve Cunningham. Uh, I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse, and I really am uh, super thankful for for that privilege and honor to uh, to serve in this community alongside of uh, you all uh, and our leadership team, our our shepherding team, our lead team. Really grateful, thankful for that. I want to let you know really briefly, a couple weeks ago, we talked a little bit about uh, the future of Wellhouse and what we're looking at doing and where we're going. And we mentioned that we're uh, talking with the Solomon Foundation. It's a, a church extension fund. And uh, I want to let you know that we are, we are kind of in the final stages of sending in our pre-approval uh, information. It's a, it's a whole lot of information that we've been gathering up uh, a lot of things from the past of Wellhouse and um, some statements from us and, and things that we believe. And, and so uh, I just want to let you know that we're in that process and we should be submitting everything uh, by the, the beginning of this next coming week. So I just want to keep you um, informed about that. We're really excited. I know I've talked to many of you who are excited about that process as well. And it's not just about getting home, although uh, being homeless isn't fun. Uh, my, my family and I, we moved from West Virginia to Michigan, and we needed to find a place uh, to, to live, and it took us seven months. So if you can imagine being a family of eight and not having a home for seven months, then you'll understand that homelessness is, is not a whole lot of fun. Uh, we, it's not that we don't care about that. We definitely want a home of our own, but even bigger than that, I think about when I am dead and gone and nobody remembers my name anymore because uh, I'm really not worth remembering much. But I don't say that to say, I just say it's not about me. It's not about me. And I know that. It's not about you. I know that too. That I know that I, what I want to see Wellhouse do and what I want to see a community of people who believe that Christ is the answer is that that is a lasting legacy in this community that changes this community for the better. Because there's so many problems, aren't there? And the problems seem to be mounting all the time. And I know that, that problem is bigger than me and it's bigger than you, but it's not bigger than the one that we serve. And so we surrender all of that to him. And that, my friends, is so much bigger than just finding a home. So that's what we continue to pray about. And we ask that you join us in that mission. Uh, last week, we wrapped up this series on deconstruction. I appreciate you uh, walking us through that together. Uh, it was hopefully a, a good experience for you as you kind of looked at faith and how you grew up in faith and what uh, blocks you built your faith on. And maybe some of those blocks have changed over time. Uh, and hopefully uh, we were able to help you in a healthy way look at how to deconstruct or reconstruct your faith. But over the next couple of weeks together, we're going to be talking about prayer. And uh, I, I will tell you, in 23 years of ministry, uh, anytime I'm like, hey, we should do a prayer service, it's the least attended thing that I've ever done. You know, it's like, hey, do you want to come over and just pray for a while? And people are like, I think not. You know, like that just doesn't sound like a fun time. Uh, and, and I get it. I get it. 
uh, because I was, I was raised in the church, both of my parents, uh, neither one of them had any kind of church experience until a few months prior to when I was born, and then they both started attending a church together. And so I was raised in that church, uh, but prayer did not come naturally to me. And I think it, part of that was my parents were trying to figure out their faith, and so they didn't really know how to tune into that themselves. And I remember, this might be similar to, to you as well, I remember every night we'd sit down at the dinner table and my dad would pray, and it was the same prayer uh, every night, right? Every night he would pray the same thing. Somehow, whatever meal we were eating, whether, you know, it was uh, some kind of steak or it was pizza, that I knew my dad was going to pray that it would nourish our bodies. And there was something I'm like, that needs more prayer than what you were given to it. Um, he would always pray that God would guide, guard, and protect us, right? That was standard. And for whatever reason, even though we weren't traveling anywhere, he would always throw in a traveling mercies. And I think that's just because that's what he had heard before, right? And so he was trying to adapt some of those things into his prayer life. And I remember trying to hear those rote prayers and adapt them into my life, but it seemed like it didn't go anywhere. Like the, the prayers didn't really go much further than, than the air that I spoke them with. And so it seemed to really, bo it bothered me. It struggled and I was like, is, is prayer worth it? Is, 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 is there anything to this? Are my prayers actually meaning anything at all? And then I discovered along the way that I wasn't alone in that. And uh, I, I'm, I was talking with a mentor several years ago uh, Randy Harris, who reminded me, I was telling him uh, some things that were happening in my life and, and uh, some worries and some stress that I had. And so he stopped me and he said, Steve, uh, quick question, have you prayed about it as much as you've thought about it? Uh, and I, that, that sentence still, um, it's still hard for me to, to wrap my mind around because the answer to that most of the time is no. Uh, and that's probably true for you. The other thing is, several years ago, I went on a retreat by myself. I took a couple of books, and I really only got through one. And the one book that I got through was called Dangerous Prayers by Craig Rochelle. And that book changed the way I view prayer again. That, that most of my life, I realized that I had been praying some really pretty simple, safe prayers. And listen, there's nothing wrong with God guiding, guarding, and protecting us. There's nothing wrong with praying the prayer that, uh, you know, cheese pizza would somehow nourish my body for another day. But that maybe I was missing out on something in my prayer life. And that's why there was such a huge disconnect between myself and what I would pray about. And what I've found in my life is that there's a few things that we have struggled with. I think as a community of believers, we, we struggle with in prayer. And the, the first one is this, that prayer becomes rote. It just becomes the natural thing. It's interesting. Uh, every night we gather our family together and we'll pray. And it's interesting to me that the majority of the time our, our kids will pray the same thing in the same order. It's like that's our default button uh, for our prayer life. And so ultimately it can kind of become meaningless to us. We don't think about it. 
I've also come to the conclusion that sometimes prayer can become pointless. And I don't mean that prayer is pointless. I just mean that it can become that way. You prayed before and it didn't do anything. So it feels pointless. You prayed about a situation. You were earnest about it, right? You, you did all the right things, but the wrong stuff still happened. And so it seemed pointless to you. Or maybe you thought, well, God will act regardless of whatever I pray. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of pointless. Sometimes prayer becomes fake. We don't know what to say, and so we try to emulate what others have said. And I remember hearing kind of the older guys in my congregation as I was growing up, and they had such eloquent prayers, and it was, I don't know how they learned to talk in King James, but they did, and it was fluid. I mean, if you talk to them after the service, they didn't talk that way, but during the service, they did, and it was amazing. But I couldn't do that. I just couldn't. I didn't know how to talk that way. And even when I tried, it came out fake. It wasn't me. And maybe you've been there before. You just didn't know how to say what it was that was on your heart. You tried to Christianese the whole thing. You had something heavy on your heart that you really wanted to get out, but you were afraid that maybe God would be mad about the way you felt about it. So you Christianized it a little bit so that God would be more palatable to what you were asking. You've been there before. Maybe it feels like a foreign thing. I, I many times uh, I will sit down with couples who've come to me for counseling and they have a, a big issue that they're working through and I'll ask the question, when's the last time that you prayed with and for each other? Is what I've found is that it's really hard to have an ongoing conflict when you're praying with and for each other. But sometimes that feels foreign it doesn't feel comfortable. It's really hard to hold a grudge and then hold somebody's hand and pray for them. It feels foreign. And last of all, prayer can become a weapon against you. If this is our way that we express our thoughts and our heart and our mind to God and, and the ways in which he also communicates those things back to us through a time of silence and prayer, then I think Satan uses those times and those distractions and those feelings so that we put an end to our prayer life before it ever even gets started. And it's because of those reasons that I looked at this topic and I thought, even though, you know, if I said, hey, listen, we're going to talk about prayer, and everybody's like, oh, man, what a terrible subject to, to follow up a, a deconstruction series on. I really think it's crucial to rebuilding, in many ways, our faith. I found a statistic uh, a few weeks ago, and I thought, man, this is so fascinating. It has nothing to do with prayer. Uh, just wanted to share it with you. Um, that's, how my, that's how my ADD mind works. Uh, starting about in the 1900s or uh, 1900s and before, actually, um, that there was there's something called human uh, cumulative human knowledge. Cumulative human knowledge, and basically what that is is that it's the building blocks uh, for cognitive development and understanding as, as an entire human group. 
So what they would say is, you know, as we learn and grow together in community, our cumulative human uh, knowledge grows. And at that time, from 1900s and before, what they would say is it doubles, our cumulative human knowledge doubled every hundred years. About every hundred years, we would, we would double our knowledge of things or how things worked. About every hundred years. But by 1945, our cumulative human knowledge began to double at the rate of about every 25 years. So it went from about every hundred years, about every 25 years. And then in 2013, our cumulative human knowledge doubled at the rate of every 12 months. 2023, this is what shocked me, our cumulative human knowledge doubles about every 24 hours. And I thought, that can't be true. Because I know some people who are just ignorant. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was the skeptical part of me. <laughs> I'm just being honest, right? But I thought that can't be true for me and you because I still do the same dumb stuff I've always done. And don't you? I mean, sure, I know more about the world and I have access to knowledge of things that I didn't have before. I love the fact that I don't have to go into a library necessarily. Sorry, Mark Tucker. I'm sorry. I love that I don't have to go in and use that weird system. I don't even remember what it's called, but it's cards, and you have to figure it out, and somebody judges you because you don't know how to do it properly. Somebody, there's several people who said it. Yeah, yeah, the Dewey Decimal, whatever, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I spent tons of time in the library. Um, <laughs> lesson over, all right. What I thought about this week is really truly is this, is that it's, it seemed to strike me as odd because the easiest person for me to deceive is myself. That I may have tons of knowledge about random things. In fact, my family loves to uh, sometimes tease me or then ask me questions about random things because they're like, you know stuff about things that nobody even cares about, right? Uh, which is always a buildup in your family if somebody tells you that. But, but it's true. I know a lot of useless trivia, um, but I don't always know a lot about me. And that might be true for you as well. Because I think the easiest person to deceive is yourself. And you've probably even done it this week. You thought to yourself, all right, I'm starting over in whatever area you want to start over in. I'm going to do better in whatever area that you've decided that you're going to do better in. And then before you've even really made that commitment, you've already tricked yourself out of doing the very thing that you said you were going to do. Because it's so easy to deceive yourself. Then I thought this week about something I learned from my mother-in-law. Um, my mother-in-law and father-in-law stayed with us when we were not, you know, a year or so into marriage. We had moved down to West Virginia and my mother-in-law was getting ready in our, in our bathroom. And when they left, she left a mirror behind 
And so I was picking up, I was cleaning, and I realized she had left this mirror, and I looked into that mirror, and I swear I saw my brain. Like, it was the... <laughs> It was the most wild mirror I've ever seen in my life. I could see so far into me. I could see in every single pore. I didn't even know these kinds of mirrors existed. It was interesting. And I thought, what if, what if we had something like that for you and I? Something that would reveal in us the things that oftentimes we would rather be in denial about or we'd rather just deceive ourselves in, but we had to look super intently inside of us to say, oh, that's really the problem. It's not all the other things. It's not the way society is or how we've been treated or our coworker or our past relationships. But the problem might be deeper and it may just include me. And so today, that's the premise of where I want to start with you. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Psalm chapter 139. This is a psalm of David, and it's, it's really, uh, I think most of us, if you're familiar with the psalms, you probably are familiar with this psalm. In fact, we read it in class uh, last Sunday morning. A week ago, Frank Bunner read through this psalm, and it's very familiar with us. The last couple of verses are what I'm going to concentrate on today, and this is what it says. Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think that there are a couple of keys for us as we look through the next several weeks together. Uh, we're going to be talking about praying through unity and, and, and praying uh, through times where we have to forgive somebody or, or, or wrestling through what it takes for God to, to, to really send us into a calling but it starts with us understanding ourselves well in a relationship with God. So if you have your highlighter, underlined pen, whatever you're using, your Bible app, you can actually highlight in there as well. The first thing that I, I uh, looked at in this text, is, it was this idea of search me. It brought me back to that mirror. It brought me back to the idea that even though my cumulative human knowledge might be grand, my real identity of myself and who I am is oftentimes skewed because I deceive myself so often. And I need something to be honest and search me. And so David, as he writes, oddly enough, he just finished, uh, you can read this on your own, he just finished this, uh, this uh, couple of sentences statement of how much he, he hates this group of people and how he wants God to destroy them. And I think he comes back to reality and he says, okay, but that's how I feel, God, but search me. And know my heart. It's interesting that he talks about the heart because I think oftentimes our heart can lead us astray. In Jeremiah 17 verse 9, uh, he, uh, the writer Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
Have you been there before? Like there's this urge inside of you. Paul describes it as his sinful nature. And he says, man, I don't even understand the things that I do. I don't want to do them. And yet at the same time, it feels like I do. And that's because our heart can oftentimes lead us astray. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, uh, Jesus is teaching about these trees. Actually, uh, in, in verse 43 says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit, and people don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings it the good things from all the good stuff stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil out of the evil things stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I want you to stop right there because I want you to go back and don't deceive yourself. I want you to think about some conversations you had this week and what that reveals about your heart. So as David is praying, he says, listen, God, I want you to take that that mirror that shows all too, uh, too many imperfections up close and I want you to search my heart. What if a part of our beginning to pray these fearless prayers, these big prayers worth praying, a part of that is for God to reveal our heart. Where is your heart truly at? Because what I can tell you is this. In my life, I've learned that following my heart has led to some of my biggest hurts. It was interesting this week as I Googled uh, quotes about the heart. I just wanted to hear what modern day philosophers thought about the heart. And, and over and over and over and over and over again, you can do it on your own. There's quotes about follow your heart. Wherever your heart tells you to go, that's where you should be. It's almost as if we haven't learned that our heart though good, and our passions, though great. If they lead the way, it will lead into our biggest hurt. The Bible tells us repeatedly that we have to check our heart, that we have to search our heart, that we have to make sure that our heart is in line with our Heavenly Father. So the first one is reveal our heart. He continues on and he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Um, I'm not, I am a worrier. I, I oftentimes will find myself worrying about various scenarios, but I'm not generally an anxious person. Uh, but just so happens this week, my, my wife and I, we, we got to go away for a few days into the Smoky Mountains. It's a great place, by the way. We love it there. It reminds me a lot of my teenage years. My, my parents, we would go there with our small group uh, that met together, and we would take a vacation in a chalet and, and hike trails and do all kinds of fun stuff. So it was nice to go back and spend some time there. But we pulled up to our chalet, which, by the way, um, I felt like when they described in the, in the comment section, you need a four-wheel drive, they were not kidding. I mean, it was, it was an intense driveway to get there. We got there, we pulled up. 
we opened up the door and I started unloading our car and right beside me within about eight feet is a black bear. Um, and I, I'm thinking he's looking at me like either, A, what are you doing? Or you look like a tasty treat. I wasn't really sure. Uh, but it raised a level of anxiety in me, right? That instantly, you know, I'm starting to sweat and I'm making my way back inside, you know, and I'm telling Veronica, hey, let's stay inside. There's a bear literally right here. Now, I think most people would be a little anxious about that. But that's not what I'm talking about. And that's not what David is talking about. It's those things inside of you that wrestle in your head daily. It's the deep things. It's the underlying issues of worry. It's the things that you have to truly search for. And then you realize, man, that is the thing that keeps me up at night. In fact, that's the reason why I keep people at an arm's length. That's the reason why I don't invest anymore in these scenarios. Because of the anxiety that I feel. It's the reason why I've walled off that part of my heart or I've walled off that part of my emotion because I just can't go there anymore. David, as he prays, he says, listen, I want you to know my anxious thoughts. See, here's what's interesting is for most of us, we don't want anybody to know the things that we worry and that we're anxious about the most because they're the most tied oftentimes to our own personality. It's what makes us tick. David asks, would you reveal my worries? And here's what I've found to be true over the course of time is that I think I know what my worry is and then God grows me a little bit deeper and I discover that that wasn't really my worry. It was just kind of a cover-up for something a little bit deeper. If you know me very well, then uh, you'll know that my wife and I a few years ago, uh, probably four or five years ago now, started uh, getting into uh, the Enneagram. I know several of you might be into the Enneagram. Some of you might be like, I don't know what that is. You can look it up later. Uh, but I found out that I was a, a three. A three is achiever. We like to achieve things. We like to feel and be perceived as successful. And I thought that my whole time, my worry was that I, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to be perceived as somebody who was unsuccessful. But really, really, as I kind of dove into who I am, I remember reading a book about that and, and I realized it's not really what it is for me. It might be for some people. For me, it was about being inadequate that I would feel in certain situations and in certain places, I would just be inadequate for the task. That God would call me into places where my inadequacies would show beyond a, beyond a doubt. And that was what I was anxious about. So I would work really, really hard to, to, to kind of prove myself in all of those situations because my anxiety was driving my work. And it wasn't until I realized really what was going on in my worry and my anxiety that I dealt with the feeling of inadequacy. A few months ago, I was talking to Leanne. Leanne's not here today, but 
I told her, I said, I need to confess something to you. Sometimes I worry I'm not enough. I'm not enough to, to lead a group of people at Wellhouse in a closer, deeper relationship with God. And she said, oh, Steve, you're not. I was like, cool, that's already what I felt. So, And she said, that's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is you're not, but God is. And so you just rest in that. And you know. That while you aren't enough, you serve and are in tune with the God who is. See, we don't ever get to that space where we can lean into those things without praying prayers like this where we say, all right, God, listen, I need you to reveal not the thing that's covering up my biggest anxiety, but the underlying point of my anxiety so I can deal with that and rely more fully on you. Because here's the truth. What you worry about the most exposes where you trust God the least. See, for some of you, your biggest worry are your kids. You worry about them. And listen, I totally get it. But I can tell you there is a father who loves them greater than you. And who's more capable than you. And do you know that when Jesus was on the earth, he had 12 people that were so close to him. And there was a time where they all deserted him. There may be a time where you feel like, man, deserted, gone, everything I've taught, it's all for nothing. But it didn't stay that way. See, there had been a time where somebody looked and said it was complete and total and utter failure. But here we are 2,000 years later. So I'd say, I think not. See, what we worry about is... The most exposes where we trust God the least. And if things haven't gotten tricky enough, the author says this, verse 24, see if there's any offensive way in me. And really what he's saying there is, reveal my sin. Now, here's what I'll tell you is that there is sin that you're well aware of. We get that. But there's some things in your life that you don't even recognize yet are a part of sin for you. That God hasn't made that fully aware for you. And we need God to reveal it in our life and remind us of that. And here's what I'll tell you about sin. Anytime I've ever spoken that out loud in a class or a sermon, it's, it's interesting because you can always kind of see people shift and get a little uncomfortable with, with that word. And I think that's normal and natural for us. We don't like that word mostly because sin is bigger than us. It's bigger than a mistake. Mistakes are easy to take care of, right? We can correct those on our own. But for some of us, we've had a sin that's been an ongoing problem for a really long time. And we've told somebody before, listen, I'm going to work on that. But then working on it looks like it. you keep repeating it. You don't exactly know why, why you keep doing the things that you keep doing, but they're right there. That's what sin is. Sin breaks and separates relationships. And some of you have been on the receiving end of it, and some of you have been on the giving end of that. And not only separates and breaks relationships here on earth, it separates and breaks our relationship with God. We learned that early on in in the Old Testament, in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve 
sin against God and the relationship is broken. It's never the same again. And it's interesting. It's interesting, this story about Adam and Eve. You remember the story where they eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat and then they immediately hear God and what happens next? Do you remember what they do? Shout it out. They hide. How many of you have raised kids? Have you been with nieces or nephews? Have you been watching kids? And they do something that they know they're not supposed to do, and then they do what? They hide, right? They're like, I wasn't doing that. They, they kind of shove things away. They, they tuck things behind themselves. It wasn't me. I don't know who did it. You're like, well, I think I have a pretty good clue of who did it. You know, the chocolate's still around your mouth. It's interesting that we hide because sin tries to convince you that pieces of you are better off hidden. That's what sin tries to convince you of. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody and they've had this ongoing long sin that nobody else knew and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And they just felt like, man, this part of my life is so much better hidden. And I'll tell you this, that's where secrets create a sickness. That's where Satan comes in and does his worst work is when he creates parts of your life that are so hidden and so full of sickness. See, the cure isn't for you to try harder. It's not to do better. It's not to clean yourself up. The Bible's really clear that there's only one that can make you and I whiter than snow. And that's God. And so David knows this and he says, listen, I don't want you uh, just, just to look at my heart and reveal my heart. I don't want you to just reveal my worries. I want you to also reveal my sin because I don't want there to be places of me that are hidden. I don't want the secrets of me to become a deep sickness in me. I don't want that to reside in me. So God, would you please reveal my sin? Last of all, he says this. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I don't know about you, but I, I'll, I'll just tell you, you're learning a little bit about Steve and his psyche today, but I don't like to be led very well. I don't like to be forced or drugged into a situation at all. That, that makes me super uncomfortable. I do not like it. I'd rather forge my own path, do my own thing. But if you try to force me or lead me into something, expect a fight on your hand. I just don't like it. David lays that down and he says, I'm going to need you to reveal not my path, not the path I want to go on, but I need you to reveal your path, the way that's everlasting. We don't like to be told what to do. And we don't like the fact that we can't figure out the right path to take. I don't know about you, but has anybody ever tried to correct you before and say, listen, I think you're going the wrong way. And then you snap back, and I, listen, I, if I ask for your opinion, then I want you to give it to me. But other than that, give it to yourself, right? We don't want to be corrected. We don't want to understand that we don't know the right way to do things. We think we already have it figured out. And then we figured out that maybe it's wrong and for some of us in this room, myself included, 
we walk down a lot of wrong paths. But what instead if we changed our prayer life? And what instead if it looked way different than what it did before? And it's, again, it's not that it's wrong to sit and pray for food. That's good. It's not that it's wrong to sit and pray for a blessed day or a blessed week or a good time. Those are all good things. But what if instead we began to pray, God, would you please reveal your path in my life so I know which direction to go? Because listen, I've taken a lot of wrong turns along the way and I know how stubborn I can be. And I know there's times where I completely resist it at every turn. But God, would you just reveal your way to me and help me to accept it. What I learned in a lot of people's lives, watching them be a follower of Christ and a diligent follower of Christ is that eventually a good follower will turn into or transition into a good leader. Some of the people that I admire and respect the most would never say, oh, I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. They just follow so well that through their example and, and through the way that they follow, they lead other people to Christ. And what if you never thought of yourself as a leader? You know, you're like, listen, I don't want to be a leader in a church. I don't, don't want to be a shepherd. I don't want to be a lead team. I never want to be a pastor. I don't wanna, I'm not even sure I want to teach kids or youth or whatever it is. Like, but what if, what if you led really well just by following God faithfully? And other people would look at you and say, man, I don't know what it is about that person, but they, man, they just follow God so faithfully in all of their life, no matter what situation arises. What if your prayer life began to change as you ask God to search you? To know your heart? To see about the things that really truly make you tick and anxious and worry. To hold that mirror that's kind of, whew, that's, that's a lot. But exposes the sin down deep and then reveal his path out for you. Would that begin to change your prayer life? Would it turn into something that's, man, it's a little bit fearful. It's a big prayer. But what if this week you took those two verses and you committed every day before you got out of bed, before you ran to fill up the coffee, which I know is important, before you headed off the work or out the door, before you closed your eyes for that day and you pillowed your head, before you spoke those words, before you saw that coworker, before you submitted that next job, that next assignment. Before you spoke to your spouse or your kids that day. You reminded yourself, God, search me. Reveal to me my heart. Reveal to me my worries, my anxiety, the things I want to cover up. God, would you expose those things and the sin in my life that I can't see all the time? And God, while you're at it today, would you show me 
your path for what my nation looks like. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. This week, may you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to our only God, our Savior. Who is truly unparalleled. Unparalleled and unchanging. Who is matchless and merciful. Who is so supreme so sufficient who is before all things through all things and in all things both now and forever Amen Would you stand with